Hello, my sweet friends, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks, Morris. I am Marie, the SLP. Yes, you missed me last week, and I'm so sorry about that. I feel like in the last five months, my life has just been extremely crazy, and in a good way, but there's a lot of changes that have been happening, and I'm in the process of moving, which is exciting, but um, that's, you know, my time is even more scarce, it feels like, and for somebody who's trying to do all kinds of things, you know, time is very precious to me, but I have a very, very special episode to share with you. In fact, I'm so grateful to my guest, Allie from Alice and the Human. She is returning to this one. And I reached out to her only a week ago and asked her, you know, hey, would you mind coming on the podcast and talking about autism acceptance? Because it is April and all over social media in the SLP world, I'm sure a lot of SLP podcasts and, you know, just at work with our professions, um, we're hearing a lot about autism awareness versus autism acceptance in this month of April, because classically for the last, I don't know, however many years, but at least three years, you know, since I've been an SLP, we've always talked about autism awareness and the puzzle piece and all kinds of things that are changing. And in my opinion, rightfully so. And I'm very excited to be having these conversations. So I wanted to have this conversation with somebody from the actually autistic community. And if you haven't listened to our conversations before on the podcast, let me tell you, Allie is somebody I enjoy learning from and just talking with. She has brought me so much good information. She's opened my eyes to so much and I'm so grateful for her. So let's get to it and talk all the things. All right. Allie is back on the podcast. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm so excited to be back. I'm so excited to have you back. I know we've both been like it's like the virtual or the social media version of phone tag where we've been talking about having you come back and just chatting together um, about so many things that we've wanted to unpack for a long time. But we're coming back. I, I was like, Allie, I need you because it's April and we have a lot to talk about. You've been sharing a lot on Instagram that has been helping me kind of guide my conversations when talking about the month of April and autism. Um, and so, you know, I just, I want to talk to you because you're a member of the Actually Autistic community and uh, we'll get into more of why that's so important to talk to you about this month, but um, welcome. Sorry. I just talked for like. <laughs> no. Yeah. Thank you. It's yeah, it's funny how like Instagram and like online communications just turns into phone tag all the time, but it's also kind of what I love about the online community, especially like within um, like the speech and like neurodiversity realms. It's nice because we all understand that like we all have full-time jobs, we all have social lives, but then we also like all are really passionate about the different ways that we, you know, interact with our communities online and all of the advocacy and everything. So um, it's funny how <laughs> it can be so back and forth phone tag, but it's also uh, for an autistic person like me, very convenient that I don't always have to answer immediately. Like social media gives me, like I wouldn't be able to interact with nearly as many people in real time as I'm able to through social media. So yeah, I think that it's funny and convenient, but um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's, let's start by saying, for you, what is the month of April? 
I mean, what is this month? I'm, can you tell I'm trying really hard not to even say autism awareness? Like I'm yeah. <laughs> from my vocabulary. Yeah, it's, um, and that's like, it's, this is my first April really being aware of what's going on as far as like being in the autism community. Um, I got my formal diagnosis March of last year. So I don't even think I had April on my radar as far as like autism awareness month or whatever, you know, people call it. Um, I don't think last year I even really thought twice about it. I was so deep in my own, like in my own life and in burnout. And I, you know, I had just had so much going on. So this year, um, I knew April was coming. And so there was definitely some like pre-month stress, but, and the first week was a lot, but as we get now almost the middle of April, I feel like I found a good steady place of, um, engaging in different things about autism online and conversations that feel healthy and productive, but also, uh, setting some boundaries and like taking myself out of, out of autism world for a minute. And yeah, I mean, I think the month of April is really about understanding autistic perspectives and celebrating, you know, the things that we accomplish as a community, but also acknowledging things that need to improve and the areas, um, that are really lacking and the things that are going on in society that are still harmful. And, you know, the groups of people who are even more so marginalized within the autistic community, like there's a lot to be done um, for people within our community even more so. So it's, it's about, for me, the month is mostly about survival. Like I'm definitely ready for the month to be over. I think that it's really important um, to have a time that brings attention to things, but I also think the way that capitalism functions um, and the way that our society functions, that when we try to bring awareness and celebrate and raise acceptance and pride, um, it gets kind of intertangled in, you know, performative stuff, but also just like, there's a lot of misunderstandings that can feel extra hurtful during April, like an account online or, you know, a clinic or some type of organization trying to do something good for the autistic community, um, but that isn't fully informed. A lot of that comes out in April and a lot of autistic people are feeling extra vulnerable and attacked and sensitive during April. So it's sometimes I think April just is heightened. It brings a lot of heightened emotions for everybody, um, especially autistic people. So it's, it's a big month. There's a lot of chaotic feelings in April, I'd say. Yeah. And I, you know what, I like that you, I didn't even think about it this way, but I like that you kind of shot or shot. I don't know why I said that, but you put in that, like in my mind, I guess just that whole like capitalism thing. And we are, you know, because it's true. It's like, okay, what the lighted up blue, you know, lighted up blue, buy your shirts, do this, like, you know, wear it, you know, I mean, my, I don't even think my school said anything because of what's changed, which honestly, Mm -hmm. like I was, I was appreciative of because I was like, good, like you're listening and, um, understanding, um, you know, what the autistic community is asking for and saying really matters. Um, and so, you know, it's been, I've been obviously talking about it with other SLPs on social media and just having conversations like, okay, how are you 
maybe, you know, um, kind of formulating parent education around what the autistic community is saying and what we're learning from all of you guys. And so um, I feel like sometimes, and this month especially, I, I kind of agree with you from the other lens of a service provider and thinking about my little humans and, you know, what is going to affect their their emotions, what's going to affect them later on in life about this month, you know, um, not that it's a bad thing to have awareness heightened and we're listening, but in, on, in one end, like why, I mean, I know I'm not saying it should be, and I'm not trying to be like, well, it should be every month. Cause for me in my job, it is every month. Right. right? Um, but yeah, I agree. It's like, it, it gets, really blown up and people are only talking about it maybe for one month and then it then may comes and then we're talking about teacher appreciation or whatever the next right and it's like yeah the awareness like that piece of building awareness and like really emphasizing conversations a certain time of year I think isn't it's not a bad concept obviously like that's a good concept it can be effective if that awareness is then linked to, you know, accepting and celebrating, but also taking action and analyzing like for people like, okay, how is ableism showing up in my practice? How is ableism showing up in my social life? How is it, you know, like, and really taking that information and applying that lens to different, you know, facets of your life, not just professionally, because it's like, and I, I try to stress this so much to, you know, other SLPs and my coworkers and people that work in education and healthcare, it's like, yes, we're, you know, I'm advocating because I want us to better support our children and our students and our clients, families, all of that. But also because I know that there are neurodivergent people around everyone that I'm talking to, you know, it's like so many people I have conversations with about, for all they know, they have a best friend or a sister or a cousin or a coworker or whoever who's neurodivergent in some way. And, you know, that's the way that we talk about these things in everyday life. You know, it, it sticks. Neurodivergent people hear how you talk about the kids and how you talk about different concepts that you don't think applies to anyone around you. And it's like neurodiversity is not something that's always that you're not going to just see visually. So it's like, it's important to consider and it's important to think about like, what we're doing when we're not being kind of under the microscope of autism awareness and acceptance month, but also like, how are we treating those people who show neurodivergent traits or autistic traits in everyday life? Like, are we mocking them? Because then why do you like, what are you doing here? So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't stop, you know, and because, because, and, and this podcast too is heard by, mostly, you know, SLPs, maybe other service providers and educators, um, maybe some graduate students, but it, you know, so when we're saying these things, yeah, it doesn't stop at your work, or it doesn't only happen at your workplace, or it doesn't only happen when you have your professional hat on. And I think realistically, it should happen first outside of your workplace or, you know, because that's where you're going to be practicing these things. That's where you're going to be um, maybe doing a little bit more self-reflection, maybe not all the time, but I, you know, I always think back to my, um, 
my professor, which I think I've talked to you about. She was the one that taught me about Hannon and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And I just think back to what she taught me in my, in my grad school days about, you know, we're not here to try to change things as service providers and we can't go out into the world and try to change people either. And, and, um, it's always been in my mind to, you know, with, with anybody who's neurodivergent to try to learn from them rather than teach them is kind of how I look at it. And so I've always been confused in April as a service provider because, uh, but I've never understood. And part of that understanding is really happening now because I've been, um, my eyes have been open to the actually autistic community, which honestly, Allie, you're one of the first people that really kind of started talking about it and teaching me about who we should be listening to and things like that. So, so thanks. <laughs> thanks. I, I always, I'm always happy to hear, hear feedback like that, that um, always makes me feel good. But I, I agree. Like I've never as a speech path or really as a human acknowledged autism awareness or acceptance month. Um, I never felt great about it because I just didn't really understand like what the point was. Like I just like never really got it. And um, now it's really funny in retrospect because I understand that most of the messages I heard around autism month um, were really ableist and stereotypical and like harmful and not true. And I, even before I knew half of what I understand now about myself and about neurodiversity, I had very averse reactions to those things. And it, it's just so funny to me to look back and like, just like that autistic intuition of like, oh, this is not, I don't know. And it's just so reassuring to look back and like see in my memories, like how that influenced me, even as a provider, like, and obviously like I was, I've never, I'm never going to be like the perfect SLP. Like I didn't know so much about, you know, the, I didn't really know anything about the actually autistic community up until probably about a year and a half ago. So like, I'm definitely still feeling new to the party, but also it's just like nice to, um, it's reassuring to, now understand like my subconscious of like, I don't know about this, or I really like this. And now I'm like, okay, finally understanding the context. Um, that's just like affirming like, yes, I should trust my gut. And, you know, there's a lot of SLPs out there who, who tell me all the time that they have those like kind of hard to place icky feelings around certain interventions or certain decisions or certain wording. And like, they just don't really know what to do with it. And yeah, I mean, I was there for years and I think that we are often really worried about, you know, maintaining professionalism and this, that, and the other thing. And um, personally, I, I hate professionalism. I don't really find a use for it, <laughs> but, um, you know, not everybody feels that way. And like, there's a million times in my life where I have to maintain professionalism for the sake of stability and not losing my job. So right. um, it's a hard balance sometimes to really place why we feel badly about certain things. Um, but also I think it's important to push those feelings a little bit and kind of add some pressure to, you know, admin and different people and different coworkers to just, you know, think twice about where they got their information and how long it's been since they've updated it. Yeah. I, and I, I just love that you said that because I've found myself in the last, you know, especially now that I'm back 
seeing students in person after the last year. I just feel like the last year, there was so much learning that happened for me. And I think a lot of us would agree with this, but um, we had a lot more time at home, you know, to go and search and, and, and ask questions and, um, and get answers and, and learn, right? And so yeah. I think because I've been listening and I've been learning, I'm back, you know, when I was in my bubble here doing virtual therapy, I could quickly, you know, kind of on my own, make my decisions, use some of those new, um, for lack of a better term, maybe strategies or stop using it and do a little bit more parent education on maybe no hand over hand or things like that. Um, you know, if I felt, but, but that there's a hard as, you know, in my shoes, sometimes I'm like, okay, but I don't want to do, you know, I learned all this stuff and I don't want to put all of this on a parent right here, right now and say, well, actually I just learned this. So we're not going to do this. Right. Um, mm -hmm. There's this hard balance because I have, you know, rapport with families and I'm not the only person giving families information, but now that I'm back working with colleagues and teachers, you know, and we're talking about writing goals for students. I mean, just yesterday I said, I will not write an eye contact goal. I won't, you know, we're talking about, you know, writing certain goals. And I'm like, mm, nope, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that one, you know? And so it's little by little, right. Or even like yeah. hand over hand, I won't, nope, I'm not going to make one of their objectives. We'll do it with hand over hand. Um, mm -hmm. So little by little, I'm like, you know, feeling a little bit more confident in how I go about, you know, with this newfound knowledge and stuff, how I go about, um, sharing those things and implementing those changes for my students and and explaining why I mean you don't just say no right I think that's that's the biggest piece is you know this is why because I you know I I read this I learned this I listened to you know the mm -hmm. community the neurodivergent community and I don't want these kids to I, I just don't want them to grow up and feel this way and, and exactly. have trauma, you know, so. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's honestly a piece of April this year that I've already seen to be really effective in that there's a lot more, especially in like the education and speech communities, there is a lot of awareness being raised right now that is talking about acceptance and talking about neurodiversity affirming practices and what that means. And so like, yeah, I think that like, so for example, um, I, a few months ago, um, in an autistic SLP group I'm in on Facebook, someone was saying like, oh, Nancy Volkers wants to write an article for the ASHA leader about neurodiversity. Like, is anyone interested in, you know, chatting with her? And I was one of the people who got to talk to her about neurodiversity and being an autistic SLP. And then um, this month in the ASHA leader, she put out a really great article talking about neurodiversity in the workplace and specifically in the field of communication sciences um, and disorders and all of that. And so that article, which I have to, I have to insert my little complaint. There's a lot of puzzle pieces in this month's issue. So yeah. like, ah! I know. But, but okay, like I'm, you know, I'm trying to take like the little things and be like, okay, that's cool, but everything else, so great to see it's really awesome to see something as widely um circulated as the asha leader um to have important conversations in and like i 
shared, I emailed my, all the speech people at my job, at my full-time job. I was like, Hey guys, like, just so you know, it's autism acceptance month. Like there's this cool Ashalita article. If you're anything like me and get rid of it every month without really reading too much, look at it this month. Um, so like, that was really, really cool to get to share, um, that with my coworkers, because especially being virtual, like I haven't really had the chance to connect with a lot of them in the way that I normally would. Um, so it's nice to get to kind of share some of that perspective and start some conversations. And it also made its way back to the director of our program who wants to meet with me and talk about neurodiversity, which is awesome because I had emailed them a few months ago asking <laughs> about this. And uh, it's nice to see that um, there's finally some more momentum there. So I'm really I'm excited. There's, you know, there is a lot of good that comes from months like this and bringing specific awareness and discussion and acceptance and hopefully action is what right. you know, the goal is. But right. it, as much as like, I don't know, I don't ever want it to sound like me or like the autistic community is like, mm, we don't want your autism month. You know, like we're not saying like we don't want it. We're saying like, do it in the right way. And that's obviously a process, but I think so far this month, I'm seeing some good steps to, yeah. to, to some good changes. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and I think it's important to remember, you know, for those of us that are diligently taking actions, however small or big they are, um, that we continue doing that after April. That's, mm -hmm. that's always my biggest thing with, you know, these months that do um, kind of spotlight different things. It's, it's awesome when it's for, like you said, it's for that change, that acceptance, you know, not, not the other, not trying to um, like in this case, we, you know, April's always kind of been about that awareness and trying to, you know and the awareness historically that's been tied to the month is like yeah. awareness of struggle and awareness of yeah. pain and awareness of like oh this huge burden and it's like no we don't want awareness about that because that's not real that's not accurate and that's you know that's not the perspectives that need to be amplified so I guess like that's a huge piece of it too is why a lot of the community rejects the term like autism awareness because it's like for right. so long that was just tied with harmful things and inaccurate depictions. So um, we do need awareness, but awareness of the right things. And right. so it's, yeah, it's good that like it's really reassuring to see, you know, a lot like yourself and so many other SLPs like I have seen that I've connected with online. I've seen, you know, real concrete changes and people reaching out and be like, I stopped doing this type of goal or I had this discussion with this family or, you know, it's, it does, it feels slow at times, but it is nice to think about, um, kind of like how many families an SLP is going to work with during their career to like, even, even, you know, from whatever point in their career, if they switch over to more neurodiversity affirming practices now, right. like they're going to reach a handful of parents and that is going to be amplified further than if they're just like, well, I'm not really sure what to do. So I'm going to keep doing what I want to do uh, because I'm not like confident enough to change it. But it's like those little changes can have, you know, ripple effects and it can expand yeah. like, into the community. So I think that a lot of people are hesitant sometimes to 
switch out things and kind of stand up for different concepts. And definitely like some people take baby steps, like action is great. You don't need to do everything all at once, but I think people, um, sometimes feel like they can only make a positive impact as far as like doing a ton of things all at once. And I think it's important to realize that even if you just start like changing one thing about how you relate to your autistic students at a time, like that's gonna be beneficial and yeah. way more beneficial than just kind of stalling out of that like panic of like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, um, yeah. And I th- people get stuck. And I've definitely been there with things like, you know, when I've learned new things or had to change my, you know, it's a, it's a change of perspective. It really is. Um, and sometimes it's hard just because we've had years and years of a different kind of learning and, and, you know, articles coming out in the ASHA leader and things. And now it's like, okay, wait, this is actually not beneficial. This is harmful. Um, and so I could, I can see where the overwhelm is of like, I'm doing everything wrong and almost, you know, it, it's, Sometimes I guess you feel like, you know, in my, in my, I, I do this to myself, which I shouldn't do, but I think about all the kids I've had in the past where I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the nice thing is, you know, I have new little ones now that I can do these different things with. And as we continue to listen and, and talk and I go to my SLP meetings and maybe there's an SLP that's working with my other student, you know, and, and we can have a conversation. And I don't think there's, I think even just having the conversation, you know, if I'm talking with a teacher and they're talking about writing an eye contact goal, like I said, or something, you know, I might say, well, I'm actually not going to write that because of this, this, and this, but we can do, you know, we could do a play goal. We can do something a little bit different. That's, I understand. Like something else that targets connection. Cause yes. eye contact goals are getting at, I mean, they are obviously rooted in a lot of like ableism and stuff, but I think at their core, most of those problematic goals, what the families and what the providers are really seeking is more meaningful connection. And exactly. cause that's what we all want as humans and especially autistic humans. And mm-hmm. the way that autistic humans connect with the world and the people around us is just completely different. So it, it feels like, I, I understand why things have developed that way and why people kind of felt the need to force that method for more connection. But um, it's, it's definitely really important that people start to or continue to realize that, you know, that's not the type of connection you want. You don't want forced connection. You don't want connection that right. comes with trauma. And so just learning new ways to connect is really important. But it's like you said, it's also about like not being mean to yourself. Like, that's like the number one thing I say to parents, like stop beating yourself up. Like, don't be mean to yourself. Like you are doing everything in your power to support this child or, you know, this human or this community. Like you can't do that if you're just being mean to yourself. Um, and it's always important to like hold ourselves accountable, of course, like, Ooh, I did that for a while. Not great. Like, you know, and that's totally fine. We just need to take that and learn from it. But, um, Yeah, it's, for me, I've just been really trying to stress to families, like, even if we're not having a huge conversation about autism, I try to get, like, at least the discussion in about how being autistic comes with its own identity and culture and community, and that even though a lot of my families are, like, 
really, really, really stressed about their kids going to kindergarten in the fall and what it's going to look like and, you know, how the staff is going to respond to their children. Those are all really valid concerns. And I'm definitely, you know, as a member of their team, like doing everything in, a, in my power to help that go smoothly and to help ease their nerves. But also, I, I just see so much worry in especially preschool age families about, you know, what's my child's life going to be like? What are they going to grow up? Like, what world are they going to grow up into? And I just really try to solidify that, like, there's a whole community out there. Like, there's so much. There's a, And, like, parents are welcome, too, you know? It's like, there really is, like, such a rich community around a positive autistic identity. And I think the earlier we expose families to that, the better. And, you know, I've heard some pushback from people who say like, okay, well, if you're working with a non-speaking child who is at a point where they're still very much misunderstood by the people around them and they're having a lot of, they're just really having a hard time and not making a lot of progress right now, like you shouldn't be talking about oh, but one day they'll have this community and it'll be great. And it's like, well, no, I should, because parents need to understand that it's not their child's fault that they're having a hard time in a school system and an educational system that's not designed for them. And that there is a whole community for them and that there's a whole future for them that's wonderful. And that, you know, it's not the death sentence that Autism Speaks tries to sell. So it's like, it's really important because if the people working with kids and the people living with these kids don't see that positive identity and that like potential for so much that comes with being autistic, like that's going to affect how people interact with that child and how that child develops. So yeah, a yeah. lot of people are like, well, we shouldn't talk about this. They're just kids. But it's like, no, you that that's our unconscious bias of I don't know what to do. I don't want to cross any boundaries like we need to educate ourselves to feel comfortable to have those conversations because those are the conversations that parents of autistic kids and autistic people need to be having. It's true. There, you know, oh my gosh, I'll never forget the day I was a brand new SLP. I was in my, my clinical fellowship and I was sitting in on a transition meeting. So a little boy was going to be coming into kindergarten because at the time I was working with kindergartners and elementary school kids and the preschool team. So they come in before in this meeting. I just, you know, when you remember every detail, like, because mm -hmm. it was so, it just left me feeling so icky. And yeah. um, before the family got there, the preschool team got there and was like, you know, to debrief us, you know, okay, we're going to be giving him, you know, the educational el eligibility of autism, just so you know, and, and it was very like somber and oh. yeah. And so I'm just sitting, I'm the whole meeting, like I'm just supposed to sit there basically because I don't have, and I, and I was new, like I, I didn't know, I didn't learn until I really started as a preschool SLP. It's okay to have a good time in an IEP meeting. Right. <laughs> it doesn't have to be so negative and like was, the I way, oh, oh my God. The, so I'm mostly at work right now doing, it's not technically what my caseload is assigned, but um, it's worked out to be that I pretty much am mostly doing ASD evals for an educational el eligibility. And the way that coworkers and 
parents talk about it is like it is the worst thing we could ever give to a child and that as soon as they can outgrow it the better and they've made so much progress they probably won't even qualify in that anymore and it's just so heartbreaking because it's it's not about oh they struggle enough to qualify to be this tragic thing it's that's not how we should be looking at it. Like, right. I don't care how well a child is doing in school. If they're doing everything they need to do because they're ad adequately supported, that's the goal. And that should never take away their eligibility because you never stop being autistic. Like that just doesn't right. stop. And there's no world where that's not important to the child's education. Like there's right. no world where their team and their teachers not understanding their learning style is going to better them. Like there's just, I don't, I hate, hate hearing and feeling the energies in those meetings where people are yeah. like, Oh, it's this grim, dark cloud. Are we sure we're going to consider it? Are we sure we want it? And it's just, and like, that's why I work so hard right now to try to tell my coworkers about the actually autistic community, because it's like, they just don't even know that there's this positive identity and community and culture. And like, they don't know how damaging their current biases are. And it's, yeah, it can be really, really, really hard to listen to for anyone. Like you were saying in your story before I so promptly went off on my tangent, no. but yeah, like for, you know, for neurodivergent coworkers too, like, I'm sure I'm not the only autistic person I work with. I'm sure there are other neurodiverse people who are also internalizing this, whether they realize why or not. And it's just, the way that we talk about it in education is so negative and it's so damaging. It's yes. And what happens like, and in that meeting, and I don't even, I, what you said basically summed up how I felt because, you know, then we bring the family in, we talk, parents cry as soon as they go over the eligibility because the, you know, the team's like, yeah. And, and it's like, and they brought the boy, the little boy and his brother. Uh, but, Allie, I'm sitting there watching him. I'm honestly, I got distracted by him because they're all being somber. And I'm just like, I'm just going to watch this little boy enjoying his time. When mom started crying, he came over and was like, you know, so empathetic and just, and I was just like, I'm sitting there dumbfounded. Cause I'm like, what? Like that's yeah, not a people it, focus so much on that negative stigma and all that that they're not, they're failing to see this like incredible child in front of them. And it's like, just because they're quote unquote strengths and weaknesses don't align with like this obnoxious neurotypical or I mean yeah neurotypical focused lens of school that fits like a very select few type of people that mm -hmm. like the whole world is imploding and it's like look at all these incredible skills and characteristics that your child has like I can't even tell you how many parent interviews I've been in for these autism avows where we asked like you know, okay, time for you to brag on your child. Like, what do you love about them? What are they great at? What do you like? Tell us some good things. And the parents that just look at us and they're like, I don't know. And it's like, I, and then, but then later in the interview, we'll be talking about different things. And I see all of these things that make the parents face light up when they talk about their child, but because of what we as educators and a society ingrains right. into parents' heads of these are positive things and these are bad things about your child, they don't think that there's anything to celebrate in some of these contexts. And it's so heartbreaking because it's like these autistic kids, like they just want to connect and these parents, they just want to connect. And, you know, parents 
are getting fed these messages that we're not stopping. Like, even if we're not putting out those messages intentionally as SLPs and as providers, like we need to make conscious efforts to help parents, you know, weed out those biases and weed out those messages that are harmful and learn to celebrate the things that should be celebrated yeah. because yeah, it's, it's, it's hard as an autistic I adult, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it is. But I do love Allie that you have kind of that position right now of in where you're at, you know, it adds so much value because of your lens and because, you know, like we were just talking about, we understand that there's so much to celebrate. Um, and it's funny because it's that IEP that I remember. And I was already, I think, I don't know if I'd made the decision to be a preschool SLP at that point. I may not have, but I remember feeling like, okay, if I do this, if I go into that position, I am not going to hold an IEP meeting like that. And if, you know, even if I'm one member of the team, like I will talk about how amazing this child is and how that diagnosis or that, you know, eligibility is not a hindrance. It's actually really helpful for his team, like, and him and whatever. And yeah, it just, um, it really, it really stuck with me, but you know, I mean, I guess then I have, you know, months like April come or, you know, just new families that I work with and I can think on that and remember as sad as that was, it, it was something that caused some change in me going forward in my career as I work with these little ones, because, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's in my opinion, my very, <laughs> I have, you know, only four years of knowledge, but in my opinion, my job is not to um, change or impose any societal norms on my, you know, neurodivergent students. It is to learn from them and like you said, build a connection and help them build those connections with their families and their, their friends. Yeah. But that's, that's it. That's my job. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. Like it's, it's our job to facilitate whatever goals are important for them. And it, it's one of my favorite things to explain to people in general that it feels like a really simple concept, but like the first time I really thought about it and the first time I hear a lot, like when I tell people this for what is like usually their first time really thinking about it in this lens, I usually see like that light bulb effect and it just like, it makes so much sense. And I think it's a huge piece of what informs like how I approach communication and speech therapy in general with my autistic clients. But it's that like autistic people communicate very successfully with each other. Like we have a very common understanding as far as communication that is, you know, unmatched compared to like autistic and neurotypical communication. Like that the butt heads of neurodivergent communication and neurotypical communication, like those like preset kind of currently, um, popular or like currently um majority norms of social interaction like it's just so funny to see like how efficient we can all be together or like just people don't get me wrong i have so many not autistic people in my life who have totally adapted to how i communicate and we communicate amazingly with a lot of my like neurodivergent quirks of communication and it's like some people just realizing that oh Autistic people don't necessarily have all the problems communicating that we think 
because most of that barrier comes from just two different you know styles of communication and acknowledging that lets people realize that oh okay so like cool you know it's like okay let's okay cool like how do we all communicate like you do a little bit and maybe you can do this a little bit the way i do but it's just like it's more of a give and take rather than oh let's convert all autistic people to communicating just like everyone is quote unquote expected to and i'm seeing more of a shift in that and it's been really nice like i and i i try to let myself communicate in that way more so lately as because for a long time it's i mean obviously i mask a lot and especially at work i mask a lot but lately i've been really trying to challenge myself to communicate with my coworkers in my more authentic autistic communication style of you know always looking around and fidgeting and blurting out things you know within reason but like I've really been trying to just like let it go as far as worrying about how I monitor my autistic communication tendencies and honestly most people find it really effective so I think that you know the direct and the honesty that we typically see in communication of neurodivergent people like that's something that is historically we've been kind of like pushing away and trying to get away from, but I think we really need to embrace that because how are we going to communicate effectively if we're not speaking directly and like being honest? And I think that's where general neurotypical communication norms uh, fall really short. They don't like honesty. <laughs> like everyone says they like honesty, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. And a part of it too, I think is, you know, I, I just feel like I was raised to not to be really, not that I was raised to be sensitive. I'm, I can be a very sensitive soul. And when Mm -hmm. somebody's overly honest with me, it, you know, especially growing up, I used to get really upset over it, but I was always told, well, you're just sensitive. Like I was never actually taught like one, it's okay that you're, you're sensitive, but it's also okay that that person was honest with you. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, and it wasn't until I was uh, like 25, really it was five years ago. um, And I, um, my boyfriend's brother has severe ADHD. I mean, I see there I go with my terms, my severity terms. <laughs> I can't have it to break. It's hard. It is hard. You know, again, here's my five years of being groomed and trained. But anyways, he has, I mean, he has, you know, ADHD. So he's neurodivergent and he's insanely honest with me from the moment I met him, you know, and I'm dating his brother and, and everything. And he's like my best friend now. I mean, because he was so honest with me that it kind of, I couldn't, couldn't get him out of my life because I was always there. And I loved him like immediately, you know, he's just one of my favorite humans from the get go. But there were times when I was like, wow, you're, that was rude, you know, or whatever. And I would, I don't like that, but you know what, in the end, like after a couple years of just like really getting to know him and, and to embrace that quality, um, that, that way of communication from him. I've learned that any time that he's like brutally honest with me, it's like in a quick, like, like, I love you. Like, you know, you, I love you enough to be honest with you or, you know, you just, exactly. And it's just so funny, but it, it kind of broke me of that sensitivity almost because yeah. 
it's, and I think, so I think that's another part is like for, um, you know, it's like you said, like, I love you enough to be honest with you. It's like, if I, like, if I'm not being honest with someone, I mean, that's really hard for me to do. <laughs> I like, physically can't keep anything in my brain. Um, but like, I'm honest with people because I care about them and I care about the interaction and I care about conveying whatever that message is, whether yeah. it's, you know, and it, I think that like people are so quick to project, you know, our own sensitivities to hearing the honest truth because like, I'll, I mean, I'm a very sensitive person too. Like I always have been. And, you know, it's really easy to take honest feedback or honest input and be like freaking out and projecting your sadness and your worry and whatever, but, um, reframing it to like, really remember like, oh, okay. If they didn't care about me, they wouldn't be telling me this thing that's making me have weird feelings. Cause that means there might be something I need to think about or address or be aware of. Like we, you know, going along with just like niceties and not honesty, like you don't change, you don't grow, you don't really connect there. And I think yeah. that's a huge piece of the honesty and neurodiversity is like, I don't want a connection if it's not real or valid or like, if there's no substance there, I don't want a superficial connection where I have to monitor what I'm saying, or I have to wonder what you're saying or thinking or interpreting when I leave the room. Like I, I want to know what's up. And that yeah. I think is what I love so much about like, connecting with other neurodivergent people we just like are just like okay cool like <laughs> let's just get it all out there and it's right. very uh validating but it's also just like very freeing yeah. especially for neurodivergent people who you know grow up masking so much to just be able to be like yeah this is it if you don't like it that's cool like I'm here this is it this is what I think and um yeah I feel like it leads to some good conversations I agree. And those conversations are always, it, I, like, I love having those conversations. I'm so welcoming to those. And, and, you know, it's my hope. I don't see it as much right now with the parents that I work with. Um, because I think, I mean, oh my gosh, these parents, especially in the last year, I'm like, they've put up with so much and had to do so much. And I feel like sometimes I want to educate and I want to, you know, maybe, you know, I had a little boy starting ABA. Mom didn't ask me if what I thought about it. And I was in the moment, like, not going to, not going to go there with her right now, because like some of the, you know, I think there's a lot of parents just trying to stay above water right now. And I get it. Yeah. Um, and I just trust that, you know, that conversation will come and I have a trusting relationship with mom and we'll get there, you know, but I'll, I'll definitely give them the time they need and, and wait to be that, that person to talk to them when they're ready. Um, but I, it's, I like, it's just like how I tell all my families, like your child's not going to learn from me unless we're friends. Like that family isn't going to soak up what you're telling them and learn from you if they don't have that therapeutic relationship and rapport with you. Cause yeah, like we can't just run into families' lives and yelling like everything you're doing is wrong. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like that's not going to change anything, you yep. know? So yes. I think that that is something that sometimes people um, misinterpret about my urgency. Like, yeah, I'm super urgent about it and I will be flat out honest when asked to be, but I like, obviously I'm not going to just like meet someone and two minutes later start yelling at them about things. Sure. Like that's not, um, that's obviously not a productive way to communicate. <laughs> right. Right. And I think that's a good, you know, it's, it's good. Um, 
in your, in your position to understand what might be more effective and productive for the person that you're communicating with, like any of us do when we're in, and I, this is me talking with my SLP hat on right now, you know, when we're talking about talking with, with uh, admin or other colleagues yeah. too. But I do think I'm really embracing having these conversations right now with colleagues and admin and, you know, talking, talking about why, you know, maybe we should start writing different goals or, um, you know, how, when we're in IEP meetings, how maybe we can address that eligibility of autism as a celebration and, and things like that. So I think with those kinds of conversations, a lot of change can be implemented, implemented too in the systems, you know, that are, that we're working for and yeah. um, that are out there in society. So, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. One last quick thing to wrap this up, but I want and we've totally talked about this before and we talked about it all throughout, but you know, in thinking about autism acceptance year round, who should we be listening to? And feel free, Allie, to tell us who you don't think we should be listening to. You just be as honest as you want to be. Um, uh, yes, uh, you've come to know me very well. Um, <laughs> I, as far as like, you know, who to be listening to, who not to be listening to. Um, every day I'm finding more and more like incredible accounts online and incredible humans who are doing different advocacy work about autism or even like maybe it's not super intentional advocacy work, but just like different accounts of autistic people who are sharing just their experiences. And that's, you know, that's the most eye-opening thing for me. And I think a lot of professionals are wanting like, okay, what's your top account? What's your top resource? What's the like go-to, you know, we want that prescriptive, like, here's the approach, yeah. here's how you implement it, here's blah, 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 blah. And the reality is, is like, we're not going to find that with neurodiversity. We need, we need a variety of perspectives. We need to always be looking and learning and listening to different autistic people. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of Within the autistic community, even there's a lot of like further marginalization of like BIPOC people and like mm -hmm. different people within our community are even more so um, less often heard from. So I think that people need to remember that they need to apply some critical thinking and like have that lens applied to, you know, where do you learn about autism? When do you learn about autism? Like how how do you consider neurodiversity on a day-to-day -day basis? Because even if you don't work in education, odds are you encounter neurodiversity all the time, like wherever you're going. So, you know, thinking about the ableism in different word choices of like calling people weird or crazy or whatever, and like criticizing people for having specific interests or criticizing people for different sensory things that you don't realize are sensory things. Like, um, I think this is kind of just like a long winded answer of like, there is no one set thing. Like, cause even just listening to me, like there's a lot of perspectives that I don't have. Like I am a white conventionally attractive human who like, yeah, I'm queer and I'm have a, like, I have a lot of mental health issues and I have a lot of ongoing health issues and all of that. But at the end of the day, like there are a lot of perspectives that I don't have firsthand experience in. And I think 
that the main thing I want people to understand as far as autism education and neurodiversity is that we should never be speaking over anybody about their own lived experience. So whatever reality people are living, the people who are living it, they need to have the first and final say, and they need to be informed on every level in a way that's meaningful, not just, oh yeah, we checked in with them. Like we need to compensate people for their labor and we need to acknowledge people and we need to think critically about who we're hiring, why we're hiring them and how we treat the people around us. Um, and yeah, that I think that's the thing to take away is it's it's about a more of a shift in how we interact with humans and how we connect yeah. with people. No, I love that. And I love that you you said, you know, it's about listening to different perspectives. It's not just going to the first person, you know, you meet on Instagram and asking them their life story and saying, okay, so this is what Allie said. And so this is what we're going to do now. Um, it's so much more than that. And it's, you know, like you said, there's a whole community. There are um, those marginalized groups that I, you know, I definitely want to hear more from um, and learn from. And um, I'm just, I'm just so excited that, you know, we, we can kind of end this conversation on that note of like, okay, you know, you listen to one podcast, congratulations, like now go and, and find some more, uh, make some more new connections and, or at least, you know, start to read more, learn more, listen more. Um, because that's where, you know, that's where the inspiration will come from, really, you know, when we have those different perspectives to learn from. So thank you, Allie. Of course. And I would say that, like, because a lot of people just, like, don't even know where to start. And I would say the best start for me was, and I, I've said this a million times over, but just following the hashtag, actually autistic, opened up everything. And so that's, that is my, like, real starting point I give to people, but with everything I just said being, like, the main emphasis. Like, yeah. yes, take that starting point, but also take that starting point and run with it in a wider lens. There you go. Well, thank you so much. This was another fun one. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, it's always nice to chat with you and it's always nice to um, get an opportunity to ramble about all the things that are in my head. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it all. Um, I love talking with you too. And I just, I can't wait for more people to hear this on, on Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening, friends. And Allie, thank you so much for joining. Friends, you can find more from Allison over on her Instagram at AllisonTheHuman. Her info is linked in the notes as is mine. Thanks, Morris. And if you liked this episode, please rate, review, share it. You can share it to Instagram and uh, tag Allison and I. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if there's anything that really resonated with you. We'd love to carry on these conversations over on the social media platforms. You know it. All right, friends. I hope you have a beautiful day, a beautiful week. Spring has sprung. If you're like me and you are looking for something to knock out those springtime allergies, um, try oil of oregano. I'm trying it. And uh, it's working. <laughs> there's your, there's your uh, tip of the week, I guess. <laughs> All right, friends. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.